Hello everybody, it is Michael here, back with another episode of the Under Pressure Podcast. Appreciate everyone's support. As always, uh, we got quite a lot to talk about in this episode. We got to talk about my Celtics. I want to talk about the Timberwolves, the Raptors, the Pelicans, and the super weird MVP race this year. So yeah, let's just get right into it. First thing I want to talk about is my Boston Celtics, who have been the most disappointing team this year, are under 500 and have just looked absolutely awful. I really thought they were turning a corner, especially towards uh, right before uh, All-Star break. They were winning some games, looking much better than they did before. Marcus Smart was going to be back. We were going to have the trade exception. And I'm like, this is the point where our season turns around. Didn't think we were going to be a contender or championship caliber team at all. But I thought we'd at least be a solid playoff team. And man, has it looked bad recently. These last couple of games have been really, really rough. And we've just looked awful. There's no other way around it. And as a Celtics fan, it's been a rough season. Because even when I watched old Celtics years, back in like, say, 2014 or 2013, those were years where we weren't like great teams or anything, but the expectations weren't high. So it didn't really matter. And then we had our fun years with Isaiah Thomas. We traded for Kyrie. Uh, We signed Kemba. Like, there's been a lot that's happened. We had our young stars emerge and through all that we were consistently at least a team that had promise and looked uh, good and you could say hey they're going to be good in the future or we were really good at certain points we have been one of the most consistent teams in the NBA and there's just something so off about this team this year and it's honestly hard for me to pinpoint exactly what the issue is because there's so many things that you can point to And I could understand you saying that's the issue. This team comes out so flat every single game. There's just no energy at all. And you could say that's because Brad Stevens isn't a very expressive coach. You could say because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown aren't ready to be leaders yet. I just don't know why this team consistently every game comes out with zero energy at all. And we always build ourselves a deficit and have to try and come back in a game because again we're just coming out with no energy and no effort and as much as I love Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown they've been fantastic this year especially ever since Tatum's came back and has looked a lot more healthy uh these guys do have to take accountability at the end of the day uh when it's crunch time especially the offense goes so stagnant And I do think that can be put on Brad Stevens as well, for sure. Uh, I completely understand people putting it on Brad Stevens. But Tatum and Brown, it just turns into ISO at the end of the game. And they got to get better uh, with that. That's definitely a big issue is how stagnant the offense is during crunch time. And we always start off slow. We'll maybe make a bit of a run in like the second, third quarter, tie it up, and then go completely cold and look terrible down the stretch. The Kings game and the Kings suck the kings are a bad basketball team we just looked so bad at the end of that game it was a joke how poorly they played down the stretch it was just awful man and i'm sick and tired of seeing this happen every single night where the offense is just so stagnant and we just go into iso ball every single time and then kemba 
he I thought he was turning a corner and I thought that was going to be the reason why the Celtics were going to turn a corner as a team uh, as a whole but he's proven to be one of the most inconsistent players in the NBA and he's been bad this year there's no other way around it he has been a negative on the floor uh he is just missing a ton of shots that he should be making and that is the scary thing is that it doesn't look like he's unhealthy or anything he's just missing shots and at a certain point you think it would turn around but it's he's played 24 games this year and it really just hasn't turned around much and that's been really really rough because he's one of the guys that we should be able to rely on in crunch time but so consistently he's just missing these shots that last year Kemba Walker would have made those shots and years prior he would have made them as well he has not looked good especially recently his past couple games he's been terrible and we can't even rely on him because he uh can't even play him back-to-backs and then we can't rely on him even when he is playing to be a good player the depth I'll always talk about that the depth on this team is terrible so we need our star players to play so perfect because there's no one else on this roster who can really bring that much uh there's obviously guys I like out of outside of the star players Marcus Smart hasn't looked great coming off an injury but he is coming off injury so what do you really expect uh he's obviously super impactful and I think he will be uh really good once he gets fully healthy and that'll be nice Daniel Tice is that a cool year guy who can bring a little bit of a presence as a shooter not anything crazy solid defensive center as well uh Tristan Thompson good guy for the locker room uh good rebounder as well uh, tries to take guys off the dribble too much, and uh, you would like his field goal percentage to be higher for someone who basically only takes layups, uh, but he's been a decent addition. Robert Williams has been fantastic this year, and I really hope he finally gets the opportunity to take over as the starting center for the future for this team uh, because he has been really, really special. He's been basically the only bright spot during these really down moments recently as he's just continued to be fantastic when he's getting minutes uh he does have a lingering hip issue that was one of the things where why he slid coming into the league uh so they have been managing his minutes and i wonder at what point does that uh, not really be be an issue because once he gets fully unlocked i think he can be special as a big who really just can run the floor catch lobs play very good defense block shots he's even shown a bit of playmaking ability that's been nice to see he's got quick hands i uh, can get some steals for some turnovers has even shown an ability to hit a mid-range jumper here and there rebounds well uh, and i do think he can be a really uh, important part of this team going forward but outside of like those guys the depth on this team is terrible man there's just not guys you can rely on like as much as we all love Payne Pritchard in Boston and he's been really good this year he's definitely been a surprise he still isn't super consistent and there are plenty of games where you wouldn't even realize he was there and that's not his fault he's a rookie that's more the fault of uh, the construction of the roster because we're relying on a rookie to be a consistently really good bench piece and one of our bench our, our best bench pieces Aaron Nesmith had moments 
uh, but he's not been good this year either. He came into the league as a shooter, shot 35% from three. Uh, he has almost no trade value. I loved that pick when we made it, but it's looking awful already. Semi Ojale started off the year good, but he's bad. Like, I don't care that he's shooting almost 39% from three in the playoffs. Teams are going to leave him open and be happy with him shooting. He's a foul machine, too. Uh, I mean, Romeo Langford, I haven't seen him on the court in what feels like a, a century because he's the most unlucky player in the league, finally recovered from his wrist injury, and then is in uh, health protocols. I do think he can be solid when he actually plays. I really like Romeo Langford, but at this point, we just haven't seen him for so long that you can't rely on someone like that, and he's only in year number two with barely even playing at all. Carson Edwards is bad. Uh, Grant Williams is the most frustrating player to watch because he does uh, one good thing, and then he looks awful for the rest of the game so you think he has some potential but he just doesn't look good he has cement feet on defense uh just doesn't move laterally quick enough uh to guard uh other forwards in this league even though he has the iq it's just that lateral quickness kills him another guy foul machine shoots the ball well but on limited attempts and uh you can't trust him down the stretch because he can't hit free throws to save his life he's shooting 54 percent from the free throw line another guy who is expected to actually play minutes on a contending team which is just embarrassing and it's it's so weird because at this point in the year I just don't know what the Celtics should even do because obviously as a fan I want to see them be good so I'd love to see them use the trade exception right now and get a piece that can be impactful uh, but I don't even know if Harrison Barnes is going to be available and that's the guy that I really want and it's just this weird situation where even if we do make a trade, there's not really that many games left in the season. So it's like, how good are we going to be anyway? Do you just ride it out and hope things are better or ride it out and think maybe we can get a pretty decent pick this year and then use that with the trade exception in the offseason to actually make a move? They're just stuck in this weird purgatory right now. And they really just have to choose what they're doing, in my opinion. They need to choose... Are we going all the way contending or are we still developing young guys because we consistently keep our picks every single year when we could be trading for people who could help Jason Tatum and help Jalen Brown, but every year we're getting these rookies. And while I like a lot of these players, it's a big issue when these players can't be impactful immediately and it's not their fault because rookies especially uh, lower rookies just shouldn't be really expected to be super impactful immediately uh, but because the Celtics have such high expectations we have such low patience for these uh, young guys and then they get cut out of the rotation and they just go somewhere else after their contract expires, and it's another wasted pick. Like, even though our top picks, we've done a very good job with that. Marcus Smart, well, technically, you could say he's been a disappointment for what he was expected to be coming out of college. He's been fantastic for us, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and we've made smart moves outside of that, obviously. Like, we got Daniel uh, Tice. That was a good move, but... Outside of like our top picks, most of our later picks suck. And this isn't even just a thing that's been happening recently. This has been happening basically ever since like 2010. Danny Ainge just doesn't know how to hit on picks that aren't 
upper echelon picks. And if that's going to be such a consistent issue, then why are we not trading uh, the picks? Or why can't we at least develop these players into being something so maybe they actually have some trade value? I just don't know what the Celtics are doing, man. And as a lifelong Celtics fan from New Hampshire, just an hour outside of TD Garden, it's been... It's been a heartbreaking season, but it's such a weird thing where I don't even get like phased by Celtics game anymore because I'm just expecting them every night to disappoint me and to look worse than they should. So I don't even know what they should do at this point in the season. It's been an absolute disastrous season for the Boston Celtics, about as bad as it could have gone. And it's really, really hurt to watch this team this year. At this point, I don't even know what they should do. I'd love if they made some moves at the trade deadline, but if they didn't at this point, I can't even judge them because the roster is so flawed that I don't even know if a couple moves uh, are going to be able to fix it. This team needs a complete overall, and they need they need some sort of change because whatever this team is right now, it's not it at all, and it's been a really, really painful ride watching the Boston Celtics this year. Next team I want to talk about is the Minnesota Timberwolves, who they're obviously the worst team in the NBA record-wise, but I have liked quite a lot of the things I've seen from them recently, and I do think they have a brighter future than a lot of people are giving them credit for. Uh, I got to give credit to Chris Fr- uh, Flinch. I think that's his name. I just completely forgot, but he's been doing a very, very good job of coaching uh, a roster that simply isn't very talented and making them look much better than they did with Ryan Saunders. They look like an actual basketball team, which is just incredible to see because it's been an awful season for them, man. Obviously, it's been really rough with injuries, but there were so many other issues. Uh, But now that they have a new coach and it looks like that culture is starting to turn around a little bit, I've seen a lot, a lot of bright spots that I've really enjoyed watching so far. And it starts off with uh, Anthony Edwards. He's been fantastic recently. He's definitely an inconsistent guy, super up and down. And that's what I expected out of Anthony Edwards in his rookie season. I didn't expect anything else, uh, but he's had a lot of really nice moments. And I do think he's starting to really figure it out and just look uh, like an elite player and look like a potential star. Uh, He's been getting to the basket, which is the thing that I wanted to see most from him in college and early on in this season as well. I just feel like he settled for jumpers way too much. And I'm like, dude, you are 6'4", 225 and just an absolute freight train and he's so athletic and now that he's really using that athleticism uh to its fullest potential and getting to the basket fearlessly getting to the free throw line much more it's really unlocked his game obviously you still want him to take the jumpers those step back threes that he takes those pull-up threes those are what are going to make him a truly elite scorer and have the ability to close games down the stretch but his bread and butter should be getting to the basket and dominating inside because this dude is one of the most athletic players we've seen enter the league 
in a long, long while. Like, he's truly a special athlete, man. He's just so crazy strong. He can jump out of the gym. He's so fast. His first step is out of this world. Blows by defenders like it's nothing. And then that uh, ability in his game really opens up the ability to hit those jumpers because the teams are going to be so worried about him getting to the basket that he can do a snatch back and then get into a mid-range shot. And that's when he's going to really elevate his game to the next level. And that's what we've seen recently. The jumpers are inconsistent. And I do think that's the thing that really takes him to the next level is if he can become a consistent three-point shooter. He doesn't even need to be a great one. If he can become a 36% three-point shooter, especially considering the difficulty of threes that he can take with how good he will be at attacking the basket, with him getting to the free throw line more and more, that is going to make him a damn good player. And as good as LaMelo is and... That pick is always probably going to hurt a little bit just because I think LaMelo is going to be so fantastic. Anthony Edwards is a star in his own right and has really looked special recently. Is starting to figure it out, starting to click. Overall, his season stats still aren't good. And he's, again, still going to have rough moments. He's going to be an inconsistent up and down player, especially early on in his career. That's what, if anyone who was watching the draft, they should have known that about uh, Anthony Edwards. He's a guy who is just inconsistent at the end of the day but with him starting to put it together and starting uh, to look like a player who just has so much potential and can really fit alongside Carl Anthony Towns as he can be a closer he can be a guy who can really create his own shot with the best of them with how good of a uh, handle he has and his ability to make tough shots off the dribble tough contested shots and his ability to run pick and pop with cat now that he's getting downhill and getting to the basket so well that's creating a really good dynamic because there was like a couple times in the Suns game and in other games as well where teams are so worried about the threat of Anthony Edwards attacking the basket now that he's becoming a lead at it that they leave the best three-point shooting big man of all time wide open. Cat got like three wide open threes in the games that I watched. Uh, just off-running pick and pops and the teams uh, worry, worrying about Anthony Edwards doubling and then Cat's just wide open. Like That's a really, really nice dynamic and they're really starting to figure it out with each other. It's still far from perfect and there are a lot of moments where Anthony Edwards, uh, as much as I love him off the court, as much as he's had so many good moments recently... His shot selection can be a little bit crazy sometimes. And there's sometimes where I'm just seeing Cat stand wide open. And Anthony Edwards takes a pretty bad shot. And he makes some uh, a good amount. Credit to him. But if he could cut some of those out of his game, he's going to be really special in this league. And I absolutely love everything that I've seen from him recently. Carl Anthony Towns, love uh, for him to get the ball more. That would be really nice to see. But he is just such a special talent. And so many people have just forgotten about Cat just due to the fact that this team is bad and that he's dealt with a lot of injuries in the past couple of years. But Cat is so special, man. He's just 
an amazing player. And this is without him getting the ball as much as I feel like he should. And he's still been so great this year. 23-10-4. He's still not a great defender, but he's taking steps on that side of the ball. slowly improving, which is honestly all you can ask for. Like, you would love for him to be like Joel Embiid, who's one of the best offensive centers and one of the best defensive centers as well. But with how talented Cat is on the offensive side of the ball, if he can become just an average defender then he's going to be a guy who you have to put in the conversation of being a superstar caliber player. It's really just all about the Timberwolves continuing to get talent outside of him because he's the full package. Fantastic post game. Uh, is an amazing three-point shooter. Like I said, best three-point shooting big man of all time. Uh, shoots free throws very, very well. Gets to the line at a pretty good rate. Is a super underrated playmaker. He's a very, very good playmaker. And this is without him having guys who are really consistent shooters. Like, there's so many games where I'm like, Cash should have like eight assists, but he just doesn't because his guys aren't hitting shots. But he's definitely unselfish and has some pretty good vision. So once they continue to put pieces around him, I think we're all going to just recognize how good of a player Carl Anthony Towns is. And he's definitely looked great in this little streak of them looking much more competent than they had earlier on in the year. A uh, guy who I really like on this roster is Jalen Noel. Wasn't really aware of him. I literally knew him just because he was like one of the worst overall players in 2K last year, I think. That's the only reason I knew about him. And he only played 15 games uh, last year in his uh, rookie season and was pretty bad but he's been a, an amazing just spark plug off the bench for them uh recently and that's definitely been nice to see as even though he's another guard and that does create a little bit of awkwardness just due to how many guards they do have i do think he could be a long-term six man for this team because the guy can just simply get get buckets off the bench he does a good job of attacking closeouts has a nice mid-range game shoots the ball very well shoots 39 percent from three on 3.8 attempts and again could just be a good punch to have off the bench and a guy who isn't really going to be focused on anything but getting buckets uh but he does it at a very good rate and i definitely like what he's done for them now that he's getting more opportunity i think he could be a nice long-term piece Jaden McDaniels has had a lot of great moments for them and I think he could be the four going uh, forward and that is the thing they do need to figure out most is just the wing position as a whole uh, but I do think they have a piece in Jaden McDaniels that can be really nice uh, as a long-term wing he's someone who has potential to shoot the ball and he definitely can shoot he hasn't shot it great this year uh, but he shot it well enough I mean 35% is below average but he's a rookie at the end of the day he's 20 years old give him time he can make difficult shots you don't want to see him taking too many uh, but he definitely has the ability to make it and he showed that in college as well uh, he's a really good shot blocker he averages a block a game on only 20 minutes and he is averaging one of the most uh, blocks for any rookies in this class which is definitely really really impressive uh, and he's a good defender as a whole uh, when he's really just locked in on that side of the ball because there were some issues in college with him being locked in uh, but when he is locked in he's a very very good defender because at the end of the day he's 6'9 has really good length and even though he's undersized uh Weight-wise, that really hasn't been an issue yet, which is pretty impressive. And I do think that just shows how big of a defensive upside that he does have because he's not near 
uh, the physicality that he has the potential to reach. And that was one of my comparisons out of the draft for him was Jonathan Isaac, who is obviously a very good defender. And I do think, even though I don't think he'll reach Jonathan Isaac heights on the defense side of the ball, because Jonathan Isaac is one of the best defenders in the NBA, I think he's going to be a very good defender and will probably be a more polished all-around offensive player than Jonathan Isaac. So I think he could be a perfect four alongside Cat and a guy who just fits really well. He's far from perfect. He only plays 20 minutes a game for a reason. He shoots 46% from the free throw line, and he definitely has a lot to work on. Uh, but I do really like his upside and just his uh, long-term potential. I think he's going to be really nice for them, and I just love that pick. It was such a smart pick for them to make. Super uh, low-risk, high-reward. He was someone who was touted as being much higher coming in uh, to the draft class than he was actually picked, but due to some off-the-court issues, due to him just being a little bit disappointing, he didn't uh, really play that much. He came off the bench at a certain point, uh, but he's definitely a super talented kid, and I think he'd be very, very good for them uh, in the future. Uh, obviously, D'Angelo Russell is a good player, but I just don't know if I love him on this team, to be honest. Obviously, like him and Cal are really good friends. And again, D'Lo is a good player, but I do feel like he was getting overrated by a lot of people for a couple of years. I feel like he's more properly rated now. Uh, but I just feel like there's a lot of better options and a lot of guys who would be a much better fit uh, with this team. Uh, it's just... I just don't love the fit with D'Angelo at the end of the day. I don't think he fits super great uh, with Anthony Edwards as they're both ball-dominant uh, guys. Like As much as D'Angelo Russell could be a really good off-ball player if he committed to it and had a coach who put them in that position, his best ability is to work in the pick-and-roll, and he's very good at that, uh, but it does kind of just limit uh, his fit with the team. He gets to the free throw line less than uh, you would want. He's been better uh, at that for sure in recent years, but still not uh, as much as you'd want for a high usage guard uh, like him. I just think someone like potentially if they could get a Cade Cunningham or even a Jalen Suggs would be a much better fit long-term at the point guard position. So that's definitely a bit of a a bit of an obstacle they have to look at going forward because they just have so many guards on this roster. But also, it's like if they get the number one pick again, you can't pass up on Cade Cunningham as much as like a Jonathan Kaminga per se would be a much better fit on this team. If they could even land Jonathan Kaminga, if they get that third overall pick and they could land him, that'd be real, real nice. But if you get the first pick, Cade Cunningham is so special that you have to take someone like that at number one. And even though he does have the versatility to play one through three, I think his best position would be him playing the point guard and being the guy who sets everybody up. So that's, again, definitely just a roadblock a roadblock that they have to face. And obviously it's going to suck if they don't get the first overall pick or uh, anywhere from uh, first to third, just due to the fact that the Warriors will then have their pick. And then their future will not look as bright as I'm making it out to be uh, because they'll miss out on the opportunity to get a very, very good player in a stacked draft class. Uh, so that's definitely an interesting thing because they also have another guard that I like quite a lot in Malik Beasley. Like I'm a big, big fan of Malik Beasley on the court. His off-the-court stuff that's been going on recently, he's definitely been a bit weird, and I don't really support that, but the dude is just in a pure 
bucket, man. Like, that's a pretty good contract that they got him on. And at the end of the day, this dude can score the hell out of the ball. He did it in the 14 games he played for Minnesota last year, and he has done it in the uh, 33 games he's uh, played for them this year. So that's a pretty large sample size. That's nearly 50 games of him being a 20-plus point-per-game score. Uh, But his fit alongside Edwards is definitely really interesting. Edwards is strong enough to play the three but I do think his most natural fit is just at the two and that's just the thing with this team as a whole is like if they per se get Cade Cunningham it's a weird thing where it's like yeah these players can play different positions and they could work alongside each other but it just wouldn't necessarily be the ideal thing uh, for that to happen. So again, that's just a thing that they are going to have to think about going forward. And they do, uh, even though I like some of the forwards on this roster, like I like Jared Vanderbilt as an energy guy as well. Uh, You can play some backup four. I think he could be a nice long-term guy for them. Jared Culver's been a massive disappointment. He's uh, just hasn't been too good. I thought he was going to be really, really good coming into the league, but I feel like his confidence is just completely shot now. Uh, I think they need to trade him to another team who can hopefully revitalize him. Josh Akogi just be running out there. Like The idea of Josh Akogi is so much better than the actual Josh Akogi. The idea of Josh Akogi is a guy who isn't a great shooter, but hopefully can shoot just well enough where it's not a big issue and be like an Andre Roberson type of guy. But he, even though he's still a decent defender, he's so bad on offense that it doesn't make up for it. Watch Hernan Gomez. I mean, he's fine. Uh, I, I like Wancho, but he's just not that great of a player. Uh, so once they get that uh, next forward figured out alongside Jaden McDaniels, who hopefully is like a Jonathan Kaminga type of guy, that this team is going to be really, really nice going forward because they just have a ton of young pieces who I do think fit well together. I love Nas Reed as a backup center, and I think he's going to be one of the best backup centers in the league for a long while as a skilled offensive guy. I liked basically all the guys they picked in the draft class as a whole uh now that they they got their new head coach uh chris finch and they've been making smart moves i do think they can be good in the future they do have a lot of things they need to address they're far from a perfect team and there's a reason why they've been the worst team in the league this year but i do think they need some more credit and i think they have a a much brighter future than a lot of people expect just kind of all dependent on them getting that top three pick, which is basically a, a coin toss. So they're gonna be they're gonna have to be a team that is definitely just hoping and praying on a uh, lottery night, and that'll be uh, the deciding factor of the Minnesota Timberwolves and their future. I'm gonna take a break, and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back to talk about the Toronto Raptors, who have not looked too good this year. And I think it is time for a new era in Toronto. Obviously, this team has been very, very good for many years now. And the staple of that has been Kyle Lowry. And even though they've said they're not trading him at the trade deadline, I think that's a mistake. I think it's time to move on from Kyle Lowry. And it's time for a new era of Toronto basketball. Now, obviously, Kyle Lowry is so important to this franchise in so many ways. He was big in them winning that championship. He was fantastic in that final series. He's played for them for a long while now, ever since 2013. Uh, Definitely should get his jersey number retired. Like He's had such an amazing and illustrious career in Toronto and deserves so much credit for how he was a bit of a late bloomer, but has still been so good even now 
even though he's 34 years old now. Uh, but I just do think it would be the smartest move for this team to trade him and to try and get assets for Kyle Lowry, considering he is on a one-year contract and he is old, but teams are still going to want Kyle Lowry at the end of the day. And with him being an expiring, it gives whatever team he's going to flexibility as well because they could extend him and give him a cheaper contract that would make more sense uh, for that roster. So again, even though he's a very, very good player, I just think at this point in the season, they don't even look like they're going to make the play-in game. Uh, they've dealt with injuries and stuff, so they definitely could still make the play-in game. But it's like, does that really does that really make you guys happy to be the 10th seed and to probably lose in the play-in tournament or at best win in the play-in tournament and then get just destroyed in the first round? I don't think that would really excite Toronto fans uh, that much at all. So I just think it's time to move on from him because I do really like the young nucleus that they have building right here they got a lot of players who i think have quite a lot of potential and who are already very good now as much pa uh criticism as pascal siakam does get and i swear this dude is the unluckiest player in the nba he just had another shot last night R rim in and out twice that that's tough for him but he's still an all-star caliber player at the end of the day he was getting overrated last year but he's gone to the point where he's been criticized so much that he's underrated he's quietly improved quite a lot as a playmaker still a very good defender and a solid offensive player as a whole can't be the number one on a championship team or i even think he can't really be the number one on like a great team but i think he can be a number one on a playoff caliber team uh, and then you're going to need him to be a number two if you really want to win a championship. And who knows, with the lottery being so random now, it was much less random uh, last year than it had been the previous year. But we saw the Pelicans jump. We saw the Grizzlies jump. And who knows, the Raptors could be the team to jump this year. And with how talented this class is, there are like five guys in this class who I think could be number one caliber players and could be all NBA caliber guys so maybe you could just get some luck in the lottery and you could easily be set up so beautifully in the future because you have uh fred van vliet who's been great this year fred van vliet is an all-star caliber guy in this league i don't know if he's really going to be a guy who is consistently ever making all-stars i think he'll probably make a couple uh but he's definitely around that range he's a super gritty scrappy defender even though he's undersized he puts in way more effort uh than most do very good playmaker uh can shoot the ball well i think he can be a long-term uh, point guard for them but can also be a guy who if they per se get Cade Cunningham somehow he could also uh, play the two like he did alongside Lowry that's the versatility that he has because he uh, plays so hard on defense and because he's a good off-ball player as well I love the pick that they made at the end of the first this year in Malachi Flynn uh, I think Malachi Flynn is a very good player obviously he really hasn't played that much this year he's played in 16 games and has only played nine minutes a game and he's been pretty bad uh, but he's a rookie so give him time I do think uh, in the future he could be a pretty solid starting point guard or potentially just an amazing backup super high IQ guy uh, play makes really well sh can shoot the ball 
uh, at an above average rate, plays solid enough defense as well. I think he's a, a super nice guy in the young nucleus that they have. Chris Boucher's really broken out this year, and I do think he is more of a forward than a center. It's a weird thing where he like block he blocks a lot of shots, but he's not necessarily a great defender. Just due to him being so skinny, like he's 6'9", 200 pounds, he's going to get uh, dominated by uh, just bigger centers. But he is uh, a guy who just brings a ton of energy, shoots the ball really, really well, blocks shots even if he, again, isn't a crazy great defender, rebounds at a decent rate too. And another guy, he is 28 years old, uh, but he has played for such a short amount of time that I do think he still has room to grow and room to develop as a player. Uh, so I, I do think he is a guy who, even though he's older, I think he'd be a long-term piece on this team. And even if maybe they get to a point where uh, he doesn't really fit the timeline, I do think he could have some pretty good trade value as well. Norman Powell is probably the most underrated player in the NBA as a whole. I said this last year, and he's having another amazing season. He's been... All He's just been straight up fantastic for them this year. There's no other way around it. He's averaging almost 20 points, shooting 45% from three. He's got a 65 true shooting percentage. Like, he's been so great this year. And he's another guy. He's 27. Uh, but especially with how players are aging nowadays, it could be five years in the future. He can be 32. And he could still be a pretty damn good player because he does uh, have a lot of athleticism. But it's not like he necessarily relies on it a ton. He's improved. A lot as a shooter and is just a very, very good shooter now. Uh, and he's been super great for them this year. I think he could be another uh, just really nice piece. He's another guy who's a bit undersized, which they do kind of have a lot of, even though he's been forced to play like three a lot this year. Uh, but he is a super good player. And I do think he has a really uh, just nice future with this team. And I think he's going to continue to improve. I think he's another guy who's just a bit of a late bloomer, but since he's been put in the right culture, which Toronto obviously has and has been put in such a great development staff, they've really helped him be a very good player. OG Ananobi is one of the better role players in the league, and I think he's going to be that for a long while. Don't think he's ever going to be an all-star caliber, uh, but in a similar way to like a Mikhail Bridges type of guy, these guys are aren't going to be all-stars, but they're going to be all-stars in their role, which is all that matters at the end of the day. When you're as good of a defender as OG Ananobi is, when you can shoot the ball as well as he can, uh, he can rebound pretty decently too. He's going to be so impactful for this team, and he's only 23 years old. He's still super, super young and could still get a lot better. Like He could be an all-star, even though I don't think he will be. I just think he's going to be as good of a role player as you can be without being that upper echelon uh, type of guy. They have Terrence Davis, who I think could be just a nice score off the bench for a long, long while. He's a guy who can just get buckets at the end of the day. Isn't like crazy efficient, uh, but he's still just a solid uh, piece for them to have. Only 23 years old. Uh, they do have a lot of just young guys who can be solid on this team. And the reason why I just do think it should be a new era is because they're not talented enough now but i think this could be a super quick retool like i think they could make the playoffs next year and i wouldn't be surprised at all just due to the fact that the culture on this team is so fantastic and the development staff has proven time and time again that they are one of if not the best in the league 
they take so many players from being absolutely nobodies to being impactful role players year after year. They have such a great head coach in Nick Nurse as well. So they could quickly retool, uh, just kind of reset a bit, get some young talent on this roster and a super stacked draft class. Even if you get the 10th pick, someone like Moses Moody could still be available. And that's crazy. In most drafts, Moses Moody's like a solidified top five guy. That's just how special this draft class is. And I do think without them really trying, they're still going to get a pretty high pick. But if they do just kind of commit to the fact that they're not going to be great this year, uh, I think that could really help them get a pretty high draft class, a pretty high pick in this amazing draft class. And that's going to be scary because they already got young talent. They already got clear building blocks on this roster. So if you can get a true piece who can be uh, a number one in the future or even uh, a really good number two and you kind of have a 1A, 1B thing with Pascal Siakam, uh, this could be a very, very quick turnaround for the Raptors. It's kind of a lost year for them, uh, but I still like this future and I'm excited to see whatever the new era for the Toronto Raptors is. Next team I want to talk about is the New Orleans Pelicans, who continue to be such a weird and confusing team. Uh, I just have no clue what to think about this roster, and they're in such an interesting position heading into this trade deadline, uh, because I just don't know really what this team should do at this point. Uh, they've been super underwhelming this year, 13th in the West. I mean, they're tied for 11th as a three-way tie, but even 11th, that's disappointing. Uh, they should be better than this, simply enough. They have so much talent on this roster, uh, but the issue that me and everybody saw coming into this year was that uh, even though you have a ton of talented guys at the end of the day, you have to have guys who fit next to each other. We see this time and time again where teams just put together a bunch of guys who are talented in their own right. But if they don't fit together, then you're not doing anything with those guys who are talented. Like Zion is a generational talent. Lonzo's had a fantastic year. Brandon Ingram is an all-star caliber player. Josh Hart is, in a, is a great role player. Steven Adams has been a good center for a long, long while. Nikhil Alexander-Walker has potential to be a scorer off the bench. But these guys all just don't make sense next to each other. They're good individually, but they don't make sense next to each other. Like Zion has been so good this year. Zion has been fantastic, and he does not get enough credit for how good he's been this year. He's been unleashed as a playmaker at certain times, which I think is honestly the thing that takes Zion to a crazy high level. I don't even think it's the jump shot. Obviously, you would want the jump shot to be better than it is, but I think if you unleash point Zion more, I think that could really take uh, this whole offense uh, to a next level because he is such a good freight train and because he's a very, very good and smart passer at the end of the day. Uh, but he dominates so much early, like first halves all the time. He'll have like 24 points on like 12 of 13 shooting, and it's just absolutely ridiculous. But then, for whatever reason, he does not get the ball at all down the stretch, even though whenever he has gotten the ball down the stretch, nobody can stop him. Because the thing about Zion is everyone knows what he's doing. Everyone knows exactly what he's going to do, but can they stop it? Hell no, because he's 6'7", 284 pounds of 
pure muscle and he's just unstoppable down low so why do they continuously give the ball to again a talented player brandon ingram's very good but every time at the end of the game i am so sick of it of seeing just brandon ingram iso at the top of the key and zion just be completely iced out of the game for no reason and that fit between those two is starting to worry me a little bit just because it has been really bad down the stretch this year. Zion does not get the ball nearly enough. It's way too much Brandon Ingram isos. And while he's good at that, Zion is so good that you have to give him the ball. And that just simply does not happen enough. And again, I'm so sick of seeing Brandon Ingram just ISO in the offense be so stagnant at the end of the games. And he's not a good defender. Zion isn't a good defender either. And that's why the team sucks on defense. I saw a stat where I think it was in February it might have been. They were the number one offense in the league. But the number 30th defense, like, even if you're the number one offense, but you're the last defense, you're not going to go anywhere. And they just have so many guys who you think this team would at least be decent on defense because Zion is so big and so strong. Uh, and he's been better this year on defense, but he's still got a lot to work on. His rotations can still be iffy. His effort can sometimes not be there. And I think that's uh, still due to a lack of not great conditioning yet. Brandon Ingram's always had defensive potential, but he just doesn't seem to give a damn on that side of the ball. He has so much uh, good size and length to be a good defender, but his effort is just not there. And effort at the end of the day is the most important thing on defense. Uh, Eric Bledsoe has been a, a good defensive guard for years now, but he just doesn't seem to care at all this year. Eric Bledsoe is such a black hole on this roster, uh, and I honestly don't blame him for not caring because he knows he should not be on this team. He knows he doesn't fit, but he's been awful this year. I don't care if his stats aren't like terrible. He's been so bad for them this year. Please just watch a Pelicans game and ask yourself, is Eric Bledsoe actually having any positive impact on the game and 90 percent of the time the answer is going to be no he just looks like he's going through the motions every single game and he looks like he knows he's getting traded but i don't even know who the hell would trade for eric bledsoe because that contract is awful he's 31 can't shoot uh he's shooting 37 and a half percent from three but we all know he can't shoot uh, especially come playoff time he's a consistent uh playoff choker and his defense has been overrated for years, and he just doesn't even seem like he's given effort anymore on that side of the ball. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, love his potential, but he's not there yet. He's too inconsistent, uh, but I also don't even blame him because his minutes are so inconsistent. One game, he'll be closing the game. He'll get like 30 minutes, and the next he'll get like five He'll miss a couple shots, and he'll be taken out. I think Stan Van Gundy is a terrible coach. That's another big, big problem for this team is why the hell did you sign Stan Van Gundy? I hated that move at the moment, and I hate it a lot more now. I hate it way more. Steven Adams, good player, but does not fit with this team, does not fit alongside Zion. And I will give him credit for doing as good of a job as he can to try and get out of Zion's way. But at the end of the day, you need a stretch big along Zion. That's what is going to make Zion succeed the most, is having a guy who could space the floor alongside him. Kira Lewis, that pick 
It looks like it makes no sense unless they're 100% trading Lonzo. Because I actually really like Carroll Lewis. I think he is going to be a great player in the future. Reminds me of like uh, improved Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder is already a very good player. But he doesn't make any sense on this team. That's such a weird pick for them. I don't know why they didn't pick like Sadiq Bey or even though Aaron Nesmith has been bad this year, uh, the idea at least of Aaron Nesmith. I, I had Aaron Nesmith go to uh, them in almost every one of my mocks or I had someone like Sadiq Bey. It just seems like they're getting a bunch of names and a bunch of guys who have talent. But again, one, when they don't fit together, it, it cancels out all that talent. And obviously, it's not been all negative. Like, Lonzo Ball's been fantastic this year. We need to give Lonzo his praise because when he's doing bad, people will disrespect him and criticize him so much. But when he's doing good, it's been quite a lot of crickets. This this guy has become one of the better three-point shooters in the league, which is so impressive. And he's done so well, even though this team is built basically as poor as it could be around Lonzo like Zion fits well alongside Lonzo Brandon Ingram fits pretty well alongside Lonzo but almost everything else is just awful like Eric Bledsoe is basically the worst fit that could possibly be alongside Lonzo he was touted as a playmaker as a guy who was a floor general and half the time he doesn't even take the ball up because they give the ball to Eric Bledsoe for some reason and he's become an off-ball shooter but even with that he's still adapting to the circumstances and being as good of a player as he can be he's shooting almost eight threes a game and he's shooting 38 and a half percent that is elite He's made more threes than so many guys who are touted to be such great shooters. And they are pretty great shooters. But that just shows the magnitude of how good of a shooter Lonzo is. Like, there was so many Hawks fans when there was that tweet that was like, oh, Lonzo's made more threes than Trey Young this year. So many Hawks fans that were so in their feelings. And I'm like... Jesus, you guys can't just praise Lonzo. Like, I don't think people should have been using that tweet to uh, just criticize Trey Young. It's more about how good of a shooter Lonzo is, even though people were saying he's not a good shooter. He's improved a ton as a free throw shooter. Still doesn't get there nearly enough. That's still a big issue in Lonzo's game, but he's shooting 77% this year. He's finishing way better at the basket. He's still playmaking when he gets the opportunities. He's still a good defender as well, uh, but they're also in such a weird purgatory with Lonzo because it's like, do you trade him when his value is at its highest right now? Uh, do you think he's going to start to fall back to what he used to be? And uh, do you just not want to pay him in uh, restricted free agency because teams are going to give Lonzo a bag or are you going to trade him now and he's going to continue to have this upward trajectory and it's going to look stupid to trade him. Uh, but because Eric Bledsoe has no value, it's almost like you kind of feel like you have to trade Lonzo. But he's been so good that, like, even if you get, say, Kobe White from the Chicago Bulls, because I've I've mocked that trade a hundred like a hundred times. I keep saying that is a trade that would be cool for both sides, and I think would be a uh, pretty just fun idea. Like Kobe White isn't nearly as good of a basketball player as Lonzo Ball, and I don't think he has as much potential as Lonzo either. So. Even that, it's like, are you getting enough value for Lonzo? But are teams really going to be willing to give that much up for Lonzo? It's just such a weird spot 
to be in as a whole. You want to get rid of J.J. Redick, but you might have to buy him out, which is uh, very unfortunate because he just hasn't been good this year. He's kind of fallen off. Uh, Josh Hart is a really good role player, and I think he's a guy who does fit well with this roster and is one of those guys they need to keep long term. Uh, but, man, this team is just... It's just such a weird mixture of a bunch of random players who fit so poorly together. Jackson Hayes has been an absolute bust. And I just don't understand this roster at all. Uh, They need to make some moves, but my thing is just, like, how do they make the moves? What are the moves? I don't even know, man. The Pelicans are put in a pretty rough position right now, and it's all due to their uh, own doings. They've just made a lot of really questionable decisions in these past couple of years, and I just hope they don't waste this young talent because there are three really, really talented young players on this team and a lot of guys who I still think can emerge and be uh, good players in the future as well. Uh, But when you have a bad coach, when you have a team that doesn't make any sense uh, with each other, and when you have players who don't complement your best guys, you can't expect to be anything but a mess. And that's what the New Orleans Pelicans have been this year. I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back to talk about the MVP race this year, which I just think is easily one of the weirdest ones we've seen in a long, long while. Usually this far into the season, which is about like 40-ish games for most teams, we know who's going to win, or we at least know a pretty solidified top two of who's going to win. But man, this year has been just so weird. It's a pretty deep uh, MVP uh, what would I say? It's a pretty deep MVP candidate, just like pool. There's a lot of guys who you could make a pretty good case for, for being MVP. I'm um, just looking at what the NBA has right now as uh, the MVP ladder. They have Nikola Jokic at one, who I think has a fantastic case. This is one of the better individual seasons we've seen in a long while. He's averaging fantastic numbers. He's leading his team to wins. But the issue is he could finish as the fourth seed, which still isn't like super great for an MVP historically. Most uh, people that win MVP are top three, but still good enough. But he could also finish at the sixth seed, and I wouldn't be surprised with either. And he definitely could still win if he was like the fifth or sixth seed. But it just makes it definitely harder than it is in a normal year just because he hasn't gotten a ton of help outside of him, even though he's individually been fantastic this year. Damian Lillard, who they have ranked at number two, has had maybe his best uh, individual season and now with CJ McCollum back that team is looking really really good Uh, but they're far from just this uh, like crazy amazing team Uh, and I definitely think that they could uh, finish as the sixth seed uh, right where they are right now and I wouldn't be surprised at all so even though just like Jokic he's having a fantastic year it just depends on how much the voters are valuing team success because obviously these guys are having very, very good years and good enough years to be an MVP, uh, but it's just all dependent on the voters' criteria this year. Giannis has been so good, especially recently. The dude is just dominating everyone uh, lately. He's been amazing this year. And he's probably been the best regular season player yet again. Jokic makes a very good case, but Giannis has been so good this year. 
But the one thing is, it's like uh, he's won two MVPs in a row, and he's disappointed in the playoffs. So I think there's almost a 0% chance he gets uh, like a really big significant amount of votes just due to voter fatigue. It's it's just what happens in the NBA. I mean, voter fatigue is a very, very real thing, and Giannis is going to be affected by it this year. LeBron has been uh, great, but the Lakers haven't been like dominant. They aren't the one seed, and there are guys who are having better seasons than him. He's still been great again. Don't get me wrong. He's averaging 25, 8-8, and and playing some of his best defense that he has in a long while, but I think Giannis is having a better individual season. I think you can make the argument, and I'd probably give it to Dane. I would give it to Embiid. I would give it to Jokic. Uh, so he uh, definitely deserves it. But I just don't really see unless Giannis, I mean, unless LeBron has a crazy year. I just kind of can't see him winning MVP because he's had such a good case for so many years now and hasn't won it. So unless there's a big narrative, like if maybe if Anthony Davis was injured for the entire season which obviously we we hope that doesn't happen and say the lakers still finish as potentially the one seed then lebron could have a pretty good case but i just kind of can't see him winning joel Embiid is a hundred percent deserving of it but that injury really slows things down for him and that is su- the weird thing about this year's MVP race, and what makes it so weird is that Joel, even though it was a pretty close race and there was a lot of guys who you could say deserved it, Joel was like clearly heads and shoulders above everyone this year. He was so amazing this year. It felt like it was just destiny for Joel to win it. It had everything that you want in an MVP year. Him dominating playing incredible basketball he was so fantastic before he got injured the 76ers were winning games looking like a very very good team uh, and then he had the storyline as well, where we always knew Joel was this talented, but the injuries, which is holding him back this year, were always holding him back. And the 76ers were disappointing last year. They m- made a bunch of moves, fired their coach, and now they're really just out for vengeance. And he was so good. But that injury could really hold him back, man, because all these other guys have been very, very healthy. And that's just super unfortunate for Embiid, man, because it, it just felt like his year so much. And the 76ers are still winning games without him, which could also, in a weird way, hurt his case, which I think it shouldn't. I think that's absolutely stupid if it does. Uh, but I do think some voters will be like, well, the 76ers were still able to win without Embiid, so how valuable is he really? Again, I think that's stupid, but it's definitely going to be something that's in the minds of people. So that is just really weird because he did seem like the guy who was destined this year. But now the injury just throws it off so much and makes it a very, very weird case. So hopefully he heals up because I wanted to see MVP. I wanted to see uh, Embiid win MVP this year. I just thought it was the year for him. Uh, and then you got James Harden, who is getting trade. Well, who got traded has so much just controversy around him, and he has such good talent on the roster that I think that's going to hold him back. Even though you could make a great argument that he's been the best player this year, he's been amazing this year. He's been out of this world. And even though KD's missed a lot of time, Kyrie's missed games, and he's still leading uh, that team to wins. And I think he needs to get more credit for that. Even though uh, that is happening, I think voters are still going to kind of take 
uh, how good this team is out of context and be like, well, they have KD, they have Kyrie, even though those guys are missing games, and KD's missed a significant amount of time. So I just think the reputation of that team being a super team is going to be something that holds Harden back, even though it shouldn't, and he's been so good this year. Luka has been fantastic is having his best individual season by a pretty wide margin is hitting threes better than he ever has uh, is a way better defender than he ever has and is still doing everything else that made him so good uh, at such a great rate but the Mavericks have not done anything to help him man they're the eighth seed and it looked at it like at a certain point they were going to take over the seventh seed and then they had potential to climb up even more but it looks like now they're going to be at at best the seventh seed and more likely the eighth seed. And that's simply not good enough for uh, him to win MVP, even though he's been so good. Kawhi Leonard has been amazing this year, but the Clippers were so disappointing that I think they're not going to really give much credit at all unless they do anything in the playoffs. And they haven't looked good recently. They're starting to slow down a bit. So that's definitely uh, something that'll hurt his case. Stephen Curry's been amazing this year, but his team has not helped him at all all and that team is another team like the Ma like the Mavs who just aren't going to be good enough simply Jimmy Butler is one of those guys where if you just broke down the exact definition of most valuable player Jimmy Butler could easily win it but that's not always what happens it's not nearly as simple as that even though a lot of people do think that should be uh, the way it works even though uh, Jimmy Butler could make the argument for most valuable player I don't know if he could actually win MVP because I just don't think his stats are good enough Jimmy Butler's been fantastic this year they were really bad without him they've been amazing with him uh, and he has like he has all those factors but I don't even know if he's going to be like top five in MVP, which is crazy. And that just shows how deep this MVP ladder is uh, due to the fact that Jimmy's having such a great year. And I don't even know if he's going to finish top five. It's just such an odd situation and such a unique year for who's going to win MVP. And I'm excited about it because this is by far the most candidates will uh, see for most years and we'll probably see for a long while so i'm gonna cherish this and at the end of the day i'm excited to see who wins uh all these guys are gonna have to continue to play fantastic basketball hopefully Embiid will get healthy because if he can get healthy pretty quick that is gonna make this a really really interesting race I want Jokic to win, and I do think he will win, uh, but at the end of the day, I'm just excited uh, to see who does win this, and it's definitely a very, very weird year to see who will be the 2021 MV NBA MVP. That has been the episode of the Under Pressure Podcast. It's been Michael. Peace out.